This is Breakfast Bites with Churro and Denise. I'm, uh, yeah, my name's Denise. I'm Filipino, um, was born in the Philippines, but I was uh, raised here in the States. Who else joins us here? And I'm G. I'm Korean American. I was born and raised in the USA. All right. Today's podcast will be celebrating Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month while also acknowledging the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes and racism that has affected the Asian American Pacific Islander community, both locally and nationwide. All right, so as we know, it's AAPI month, and uh, we had planned this subject for a while, and I feel like we pushed it up because we wanted to talk about it, like, during the month instead of, like, just waiting till, like, the end, because I don't want to make it seem like it's an afterthought, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think and it's, there's a lot of value in having this discussion during this very important month. All right, here's a description I have from Wikipedia. It says, Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month is a period for the duration of the month of May for recognizing the contributions and influence of Asian Americans and Pacific Islander Americans to the history, culture, and achievements of the United States. So... Like I was saying earlier before we started recording, I myself am Mexican, so it's not really something that I can speak to, or I can, I guess, talk about like 100% genuinely, because I'm always going to be looking at it from an outsider point of view, you know, like an al- as an ally, as you would say. So why should we listen to you and not like somebody else? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I feel like me and G were, were both Asian, obviously, um, but we both come from very different ethnic backgrounds. G is Korean and I am Filipino. Um, and so I feel like we both have had um, both very like different experiences growing up in America, but also very valid experiences. And I feel like we can um, at least speak to kind of the uh, diverse ways that Asian Americans um, kind of experience life here in the States. Yeah, yeah, definitely great. Even though we have very different ethnic backgrounds, um, grew up in different, I'm sure, socioeconomic situations, Mm -hmm. different parts of the country, there's still something unique about the Asian American experience that still unifies us. We have these shared experiences because of who we are and how we are perceived. Totally, yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to note that, yeah, you two are, they're under the same umbrella, but there's also very distinct things. Like, I would say it's kind of the same for a lot of other communities, too. Like, Hispanic people, you know, that that's that big umbrella term. But then you get into each different, like, country, there's, like, all these different individual cultures and all that different practices. That right. Might translate mm-hmm. a little bit, but, you know, it's it's pretty much the same it's I mean different it's pretty much the different kind of things going on but there are similar experiences um how has your heritage shaped the person that you are today yeah so I I mean um again having been born in the Philippines and having grown up here in the states I think um you know like like G mentioned there are uh you know, there are some common threads, um, despite having different ethnic backgrounds, um, that 
you know, you can really speak to as just like an immigrant here in, in the United States. Um, I personally uh, spent a lot of my early years actually growing up in Kansas in like the late 90s and early 2000s. And I think I was probably um, one of the few people of color that lived in my neighborhood. I think my family was one of the only families of color that lived in my neighborhood. Um, and so that I think like really kind of shaped the way that I perceived myself growing up. Um, I, uh, you know, even though people were obviously very kind to us um, and I was still able to make a lot of friends, just the fact that you look very different from other people and that you eat different types of food at the lunch table that can in many ways feel pretty isolating for you, even if no one else is really making you feel isolated. Just the fact, again, that you look different or do different things makes you feel somewhat like an outsider. Um, and so I kind of felt, you know, very much on the periphery, I guess, growing up for much of my life until I moved to Chicago, which is a much more um, diverse part of the country than like the middle of Kansas. Um, and so as I kind of transitioned into living um, amongst other Filipinos and then also um, with other like Asian ethnicities, um, I think that that kind of really helped me kind of like contextualize um, you know, how I fit in and you know what I um, or like how I really wanted to like shape myself moving forward, not as an outsider, but as like someone who belonged in a community and whose like thoughts and practices were valid. Definitely, I have, I guess similar experience as well. I grew up in a Mexican majority city, uh, in El Paso, Texas. <laughs> um, and it was interesting because starting in my elementary school years, I. Almost every school has an ESL program, but I was stuck into ESL because my mom marked on the paper that English was my second language. Of course, the first language was not Spanish, <laughs> but the rest mm -hmm. of my peers in ESL classes were Spanish speaking peers. And I was there mm -hmm. because my first language was Korean. Um, so I don't know if I benefited at all. I don't recall, but I, I remember looking back on that later thinking how, how interesting that the only second language they're considering in, in this class because the majority of Spanish speaking is just instruction in Spanish for English. Um, <laughs> I did. I really didn't think much of it. And I'm sure there are moments when I was young where I probably felt like an outsider. Um, but I did. So I think I had good roots in that I had friends who were who, close friends who were Mexican and ne never felt like they used my race as ammo against me. Right. I want to I say it was when I, I guess the angstier teenage years where I'm kind of <laughs> discovering who I am, where it felt very isolating because A, I was not, I was clearly not Mexican. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I was not so ingrained in my Korean heritage that I mm -hmm. really felt Korean either. And it wasn't until later when I went to college and where I took Asian American study courses where I was kind of able to give words to what I was just like feeling. And it, I found that a lot of Asian Americans felt the same way where, where they are forever perceived by the world by, you know, their physical features, but they're in a kind of no man's land, a middle ground where they're always hyphenated. They're not quite um, Asian enough. They're not quite American enough. They are that, that they're living in that hyphenated land where they're not enough of each <laughs> of each right. halves and and they don't necessarily form a whole. Right. Um, 
Yeah. And I say, I would say a lot of my college years and post-college years was kind of coming to terms with that being more comfortable, not fitting in a box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel... I, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, um, just really quickly, no, that's such a, uh, I feel like I definitely um, empathize a lot with that experience, G. Like, like growing up when you're, when you're a kid, like, no one really, like, other kids will not, um, or like, as, as my experience uh, was, you know, other little kids never really um, took my skin color or the way I looked into account. Like they were all just very happy to be friends with me. Um, but then, you know, as you grow older and then you kind of gain that self-awareness that, you know, you you do look different and you partake in, you know, different uh, practices maybe from your family's cultural background um, that you are then kind of in your angsty teenage years again, like trying to really like figure out, um, yeah. you know, like are, do I like feel like I'm Asian enough? Like I myself was never particularly like super glued to my like Filipino cultural heritage growing up. Um, so I definitely really empathize with that experience for sure. Okay. And I was going to say that, um, that experience of like being in the middle ground, I feel like that's very common in like a lot of cultures too. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice that you would give to like someone younger if they were going through something like that? Need to marinate on that a little bit. <laughs> I yeah, think. I think like um, if I were to give advice to maybe my younger self or other younger Filipino Americans that. Um, I I mean, I would, I think I would really just say that, like, you don't have to, like, on this kind of, like, journey of finding yourself, especially when you grow up and and kind of uh, enter your teenage years, like, you shouldn't feel, um, you shouldn't pressure yourself, at least, to, like, necessarily have to, like, fit into kind of, like, one or the other type of mold. I guess when you're um, when you're like really trying to like figure out who you are and define yourself, like you don't have to like pressure yourself to necessarily like have to be Asian enough, or you don't have to pressure yourself to necessarily be like American enough. If that makes sense, um, I think that you should just really kind of give yourself a little bit of grace um, and like space to you know kind of just grow into who you think you want to be without necessarily having to kind of like live up to these expectations which is a really hard thing to to try not to do it's like much easier to say that than it is to actually like practice not having to live up to those like expectations um but i think you know again just giving yourself that kind of like grace to to really um just like become who you are without uh, having to live up to all that outside pressure is important. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess I echo that sentiment, but also say like you're not on the journey alone. So definitely reach out to your community. You reach out to close friends, confide in them. <laughs> outside of just the like coming to terms with your identity, um, your ethnic identity, um, having solid friends of diverse backgrounds or similar backgrounds is just so, 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 so valuable. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're not you're not alone. If you need help, seek it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so important to have good friends and like a good support. Three. 
Does your family have any traditions that you're that are especially important to you? I can answer this one. Um, one that comes top to mind um, is <laughs> kind of has morbid roots, but it's something that I celebrate now because I am a aunt. Uh, <laughs> so Koreans uh, celebrate children's 100th day. Um, and it, it's, I would say, more monumental than like a child's first birthday. The 100th day is particularly important. Um, entire family gathers. Um, historically, the, the the mythos was if you make rice cake uh, for that birthday, and if a hundred members of your family or hundred people eat the child's birthday um, rice cakes, then the child would have a long, prosperous life. And there's some other other traditions tied with that, but that one comes top to mind because uh, one of my nephews is actually approaching his hundredth day, so that's been top of mind right now. And I've I've never had the chance to celebrate it in my family, uh, although. Uh, it's not necessarily something, how do I say this? Not something I've practiced. It's still something that's important to me now that I can actually, um, I guess, shower my my nephews with this with this tr- Korean tradition. You know, I've never actually heard of that one. Yeah, I mean, if it's okay to touch on the morbid side, it's because <laughs> uh, when child mortality rates were high, and I'm sure in any like third world country at the time, they weren't sure if a baby would make it to their 100th day. So when they did hit that landmark, it was uh, like a momentous event that the entire village would celebrate because, of course, after the 100th day, it was more likely that the child would, would be healthy. So that's why 100 days is important. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I, I'd seen pictures of that tradition online and also um, just read about it, but I, I didn't actually know what the actual origins of it were. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. morbid. A morbid. little bit. No, I think it's a it's a positive spin on something that is a true reality for people in the olden times. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like, I feel like growing up, I almost like resented having to partake in certain <laughs> cultural traditions that my family thought were very important. Um, so for example, one of those was on New Year's Eve, Filipinos typically celebrate New Year's with their families. Whereas most of my high school friends, I would kind of always feel pressured to either have to like stay with my family or go hang out with my friends because that was kind of just the thing that you did in high school was to celebrate New Year's Eve with your friends and not necessarily your parents. Um, But in the Philippines, it's really um, important to welcome in the new year with, um, with your kind of blood family. And then also one of the traditions that we would partake in um, was we would, I think, buy at least one of 10 different types of fruit which was supposed to, I guess, kind of symbolize like prosperity into the new year. Um, and kind of like looking looking back on that tradition, I wish I had maybe felt less bitter about staying home on New Year's because um, it was, I mean, it was always really fun to, to be with, with family during that holiday and to eat all this really great food and kind of reflect on the things that we had been grateful for the past year. Um, but I just, yeah, I just remember having grown up just kind of always being a little bit resentful that I couldn't really be with my friends at that time. Um, but yeah, again, looking back on it now, uh, you know, glad that they more or less made me sit through those. Yeah. In my experience, 
it was mostly like a lot of bigger events back back in the day there were there would be like a lot of um i guess festivals i guess like there's so many conventions that it was just like free like you could just walk in and it was like latino day or some some stuff like that and i remember i used to hate going to those but now like i think about it and i'm like damn that was a really good memory like the stuff that they had going on all the different you know stalls and stuff i think about it often and i remember i used to be so so mean about it and so like grumpy as a kid but i do miss it cuz they don't do them anymore right all right hold on all right next question what does asian american pacific islander heritage month mean to you this one's kind of tough <laughs> um a I honestly didn't know there was a month dedicated to Asian American Pacific Islanders until I joined the corporate world. So I have, no, yeah, I have no idea how long yeah. it's been a month that was yeah. celebrated. So the, my reality is until, I don't know, three or four years ago, I, I didn't celebrate it and it meant nothing to me. <laughs> uh, we just kind of, I flew under the radar. I didn't think anything of it. Um, so the fact that it, it is getting more visibility um, I'm very much appreciative, but if I can put a somewhat pessimistic spin, I, I think I've been kind of exhausted uh, of having, I, I not to piggyback off BLM too much, but I've been exhausted for my college years of having to constantly be the voice and face of my community to people who don't know, uh, like, like most people are curious and usually kind about asking about my heritage or my experiences um, in the corporate world as an Asian American woman specifically. But overall, it's kind of exhausting feeling that weight and having to always be ready to be an educator. Um, so this month's me, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what it means to me yet. <laughs> I, I think it's especially important now in light of uh, all the Asian hate that's been happening, um, not just state or countrywide, but worldwide. Um, but I, I'm not sure how to solidly answer that question other than saying, I'm glad it, it exists. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it means to me yet. I think it's fine to feel conflicted about something like that because, like, I didn't know it was a thing till recently either. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a part of the community, but it, it would make sense that, like, it could get at least a little bit more exposure. Supposedly, it's been around since June 1977. I didn't know that. Oh, man. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, so it's definitely it's de definitely not wrong for you to feel like a little bit conflicted about it. What about you, G? Oh, I think that that was G that just answered. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that was me. No, you're, you're good. good. You're good. Um, I feel like our voices. I don't know. I but I feel like through a microphone, it a lot of voices sound the same. But I mean, similarly to G's answer. I kind of feel the same. I mean, I also was not really aware that there was an AAPI month at all until, again, I joined the corporate world. Um, and yeah, I mean, similarly, kind of piggybacking off of G's answer here, I, I really don't know what it means to me yet. And like, it almost feels like, even though I am Asian American, it almost feels like it's not for me in a way. Um, and I, yeah, again, I think a lot of that is just because, I mean, growing up and having to field a lot of these questions about, you know, where 
are you from? What is the Philippines? You know, why do you eat this type of food? Why do you look the way that you do? It does, I think, become a little bit exhausting to, like G said, constantly have to like educate people and field those types of questions. Um, and so, I mean, I think like AAPI month obviously, you know, brings awareness and fosters awareness of the different types of injustices and, and terrible things that happen within the AAPI community, which is great. Um, but, you know, again, also it, um, you know, kind of growing up having to kind of, you know, be the educator in a lot of ways um, is a little tiring. And so, yeah, kind of similarly, I, again, awareness is always a, a good thing, but yeah, not entirely sure um, what it fully means to me yet. Okay. Here's a follow-up question to that. Why is it so hard for people to like educate themselves? Do you feel like there's an easier way for people to just access this information? Because I mean, obviously the internet, but I feel like a lot of people were just, they would rather hear it from like the people, the marginalized people themselves. But yeah, I know that can be tiring, but it's like, why do you think it's so hard for people to just do their own research and just look into it themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, part of it is that I definitely in certain parts of the country um, that are and remain kind of still a little bit less diversified, you're just, I mean, not as exposed to certain types of issues, which is not really, you know, the fault of individuals that that live there. I mean, again, having grown up in or having spent a lot of my early years in Kansas, it was definitely the first time that a lot of people had ever met someone that was born outside of the country that had ever met someone of a different skin tone than theirs. Um, and again, that's not any fault of their own it's it's more so just they have never had to really confront these issues so maybe it's not necessarily something that they've ever felt the need to to educate themselves on um but like really with the proliferation of social media and just mass media um it is becoming increasingly more difficult to not be aware of these types of issues even if you live in an area that's a little bit less diversified. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it is important to, to listen to people of color within their, within your community um, and, uh, you know, give them the space to, to talk openly about what it is they want to talk about. Um, but then it is also, uh, you know, the onus is also kind of on you um, as an individual to, you know, if possible, do your own reading and really try to educate yourself. Um, again, you know, people are very busy um, and have a lot on their plates. But, you know, the more that we can really try to educate ourselves about these types of issues, uh, you know, the, the stronger our communities become. Mm -hmm. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know what else to say about that. Why everything is so accessible now. Um, there are smarter people than I who have put digestible resources online. So if if it, it, it's great if you do have a 
a person of color who is willing to speak with you about um, social and racial issues, but there are just so many resources. Like like Denise said, it's really lack of direct uh, relationship with a person of color is no longer an excuse. Um, so if, if you want to learn more, resources are out there. It's just the individual has to be willing. <laughs> And I guess that's kind of the problem. People, myself too, I, I'm guilty of just putting on blinders and living in ignorance because it's easier to, totally. to, yeah. to just put blinders on and, and live as an independent specimen on earth. But yeah, the, the material's out there. Just go find it. Mm-hmm. All right. This next one is a long one. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my template here. I have a template. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Nearly 3,800 hate incidents were reported against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders nationwide over the last year, and women were 2.3 times more likely to report an incident, according to a report released by the group Stop AAPI Hate. A lot of this or the increase has been said due to the rhetoric that came from this pandemic. Personally, what advice do you have for allies who want to support the AAPI community and combat anti-Asian racism? It's a great, great question. <laughs> um, I mean, like I, like one, I, you know, I, I do feel like the increase in, in hate crimes against Asian Americans was definitely, definitely exacerbated by anti-Asian coronavirus rhetoric. But then also I, I do feel like part of it is just you know, it's very possible that this kind of stuff has been happening for a long time. And, you know, only now are we really starting to to amplify the voices of the victims and the people that are actually affected by this. So, I mean, if I were to give advice to, to people who want to be allies and, and supporters of, um, you know, their, their AAPI friends or their AAPI community. I mean, I, w- I would really just say that the, the best thing you can do is kind of just, again, allow for that space for those individuals to, to talk openly about issues that they care about or about certain events that they might, um, you know, that are important to them. Um, and then also just, you know, being available, I, I guess, in in the sense that if that individual kind of wants to to open up to you and maybe talk about things that they're scared about, um, or again, just issues that are important to them, that is like really incredibly helpful. <laughs> um, I like a couple of weeks ago, I actually went to Vegas with my boyfriend, and this was, um, you know, kind of. Uh, Obviously, we're still experiencing a lot of hate crimes against the um, Asian American community, um, but this was kind of like uh, right after this really horrific incident happened where a Filipino woman, an elderly Filipino woman, was really brutally assaulted in broad daylight in New York City. And so I was just voicing to Celestina, um, my friend, my good friend, <laughs> um, that that type of incident was really concerning to me, even though nothing of the sort has thankfully ever happened to me before but like just the fact that like she was there to like listen and validate my concerns and that like I wasn't just being 
like a completely paranoid person was really helpful just mentally for me. If I can, I, I feel like I'm always taking the contrarian point of view, but <laughs> my, I, I guess it varies per individual, but I, I would also say respect when uh, members of the community don't want to talk about it. Like if they're not ready for a conversation, if you're constantly prodding, uh, prodding and asking, like, how do you feel about this event? Uh, what can we do for this? Um, maybe I appreciate the initiative, but also respect like maybe they don't want to talk about it yet. Um, That's so true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's good that you have different points of views and also see what you mean with like not pressing an issue because mm-hmm. after all, if it's in someone who's not a part of the community, it's like you don't really have too much of a say, mm-hmm. you know. In my experience, most of the time for like allyship, it's just better to use it as some sort of like a stepping stone. Like mm-hmm. I'm here to amplify your voice, you know, I'll like help you get your word out, but it's not like I'm going to be like, Oh, doesn't this hurt you? Like, how do you feel about right, this? Right, right. Exactly. It's yeah. not really, it's not really your place to be in there and try to like, I don't know, twist the spear more than it needs to for lack of a better term. Right. Yeah. I mean that, like that is a really good point as well. Like to not, like as an, an ally, like not to kind of um, like really, again, push people into talking about things that they really don't want. Because then that can also, even if you have good intentions, that can also result in like a really uncomfortable situation. Mm-hmm. There's also the term about speaking over the voices, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like there's, I won't name any names, but there are people on social media who will like just straight up just use these events and just to try to like push some, not some sort of agenda, but it's like, oh, look at what's happening here. Like, doesn't this make you mad? Like, what did, what should we do about it when they're not exactly a part of the community either? It's it's weird. It kind of makes it seem like they, they just kind of use that pain for clout, you know? A little bit. I, I do feel like a lot of people have like a savior complex or a Jesus complex, right? They need to go save the hurting people. Um, yeah. But that that's not necessarily what that's not what anyone wants or needs really (laughs) right yeah yeah oh that's so true this next one is also a long one all right you guys ready we're ready all right have you heard of the term model minority myth for those who have not heard of it according to learning for justice.org the myth of the model minority is based in stereotypes it perpetuates a narrative in which asian american children are whiz kids or musical geniuses Within the myth of the model minority, tiger moms force children to work harder and be better than everyone else, while nerdy, effeminate dads hold prestigious but not leadership positions in STEM industries like medicine and accounting. This myth characterizes Asian Americans as polite, law-abiding group of people who achieve the higher level of success than the general population through some combination of innate talent and pull yourself up from your bootstraps, immigrant striving. Do you find this to be a good or harmful stereotype? And do you think this stereotype has played a role in the struggles of AAPI peoples? You want to tackle this one first, G? <laughs> okay, I'll try to keep it succinct. I can go on this topic a lot. Yeah, um, <laughs> Yeah, so definitely a term we've heard before. Um, uh, how do I, how do I want to address this? I'm gathering my thoughts a little bit still. Um, I will say... In uh, in my education in collegiate life, 
I definitely leaned in to the model minority myth. Um, growing up, uh, education, like school excellence was definitely pushed on my siblings and I. I guess I did play a musical instrument. Yes, I did go to a pre-engineering magnet school. Yes, <laughs> I graduated top of my class, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, 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 um, I leaned into maybe those aspects. Um, but is it detrimental to the API community? I want to say yes, in that it, it just, again, it's all about putting, putting, generalizing, putting people into a box and really limiting how, how, like, their avenues for success or expression. And I want to say largely the the negative impact is specifically in the States. Um, like we are often pitted against other ethnic groups as you know, that's why the model minority, right? Out of the all minorities, yeah. we're the ones that are doing the best doing their, right. we don't make noise. We just silently suffer and succeed somehow, uh, which is, could not be further from the truth. But um, in, in some way I benefited from like having, basically I was in the good graces of our, our more, how do I say it without being offensive? Uh, are more privileged members of society. <laughs> um, I, I basically was, like, if I walked into a room, people would assume some, some things about me that were usually positive. Um, so I benefited in that way. But overall, I think it is a negative, negative um, perception of our community that only hurts us in, uh, in, in the professional world and our personal lives, et cetera. Um, that's my <laughs> my two cents for now. I'm sure we can keep going once Denise answers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I agree. I, I think you know, G and I had pretty similar experiences in terms of leaning into the expectation of uh, having to you know have really good grades in school, you know, have a lot of extracurriculars, go to a good college, that sort of thing. I I think just generally I and I mean I I guess in my own individual life I personally benefited from kind of forcing myself to do all of those things and live up to those expectations but generally when you try to you know put people again into this box and you kind of set all these expectations um, that they specifically for the AAPI community that they're going to be you know really um hardworking and like not really assertive and you know be quiet and submissive that is harmful for especially I mean again for the AAPI community but also just for everyone because like when you start to put people in boxes and then you maybe meet someone that is doesn't fit the mold that you have ascribed to them um, then you're kind of just like, what, what the fuck? Like, why, you know, why aren't you being submissive? Like, why are you uh, being an assertive person, especially for, you know, Asian women, you know, the expectation is like that we're typically like pretty quiet, um, and like not very assertive people, uh, which is again, you know, very far from the truth. Um, but it's just, it's really harmful to, to everyone when you, you know, put people in these boxes. And then, you know, when people break out of that mold, uh, you know, it kind of creates this cognitive dissonance that otherwise would not have happened if you had just been, you know, initially kind of open-minded about the fact that individuals, despite their, you know, ethnic 
backgrounds and all these ethnic stereotypes can be, you know, very different individuals that, you know, have a range of different personalities. So. Did you have anything else you wanted to say, G? Because I completely agree. <laughs> um, I guess. Again, it's if you want. You don't, don't want to say anything that's too polarizing. But like, if you no, think about I, I it, it's just <laughs> like model minority myth or like, it's just stacking again. It's just stack ranking like minorities in America against each other. So no one really benefits. Like it's, it's like, <laughs> again, the privileged folks, privileged white people, I'll just say it, like yeah. pitting, pitting everyone else and against each other and saying, okay, who, who gets a seat at the table based on how they perform? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's right. just, it's, it makes me angry when I think about it, but that, that's all I'll say about that for now. No, yeah, it's definitely a reality of, of this world, quote unquote, you know, but really more, really more focused in this nation that they kind of do that. So it's like, it's either us or them, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it just harms everybody. I don't know. But there's, there's like a whole thing about it. You can go like super deep into it. But yeah, we know who's at fault here. Right. <laughs> the next for question. sure. <laughs> Feel is like there we an AAPI figure for a while? Yeah, definitely. Is there an AAPI figure who you find inspiring, or someone you just recommend other people to look into? Good question, Denise. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away. Oh man, I mean, I, I like, I, I guess I'm not the type of person that like necessarily like has people in mind that I look up to in terms of like who exists in the public sphere. Um, I mean, I definitely admire all of the Asian women in media um, that, I I mean, I, I guess just recently in the past few years, the, popularization i suppose of having asians be at like the forefront and center of really popular movies has been i think really cool for me to see um yeah i like i i don't know if i would necessarily like have one person in mind um but just getting to see asian actors assuming you know, main roles, title roles in movies, and instead of just kind of being confined to being like the doctor or, you know, whatever other, um, whatever other role Asians are typically ascribed to, it's been like really refreshing to see Asian actors kind of assume all these different types of roles that kind of, again, break that box of that uh, expectation that we've typically put Asian people into when we think of of popular media um so i think it's been really cool to to see that in recent years yeah i would say i'm similar i don't necessarily have like one role model asian american role model i i will say my my child self did and that person was definitely michelle kwan (laughs) 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 but uh, outside of that i'm sure she's still doing amazing things now i just don't keep up with her um no, but I, I agree wholeheartedly with what Denise is saying and that representation absolutely matters. And it, it's been pretty inspiring seeing a lot of Asian American actors come to the forefront, take on roles that aren't stereotypes and, and 
succeed and not not just be like well, this was a diversity hire but actually profitable <laughs> and people want this kind of media so it, it's it's been encouraging f- for sure um I don't really I, in a way I also feel bad for these Asian American actors because every interview they do is about their Asianness I, I'm yeah, just like this, yeah so and yep. they're they're the faces of, of Asian America and they are the ones that are having the exhaustive conversations having to be the face of the whatever Asian America actually is yep. so appreciate them think it's awesome that they're out there um that I don't only have Michelle Kwan to look up to Christy Yamaguchi too sorry need to give her kudos as well um <laughs> but yeah it, it's i don't have besides the two ice ice figure skaters um i don't i don't have like one person i can name as someone who i i really look up to but overall it's just glad that we have more representation right i mean i i don't know maybe the fact that we like we don't have anyone that we know <laughs> is that a bad thing? growing up yeah it's like i i don't know maybe like that's also in, an indication of you know the fact that asians were not super represented <laughs> you know in popular media growing up I don't know but maybe I I mean again the fact that I still hold on to Michelle Kwan I think is still a a positive I had it is a positive yeah Yeah, she was she was on the on on the international stage and excelling at her sports that was totally yeah I I can't in recent days I'm not sure if I can name like pinpoint one person who I'm like damn that like I'm proud that um she or he is out there um doing the work (laughs) um yeah maybe we need to do more research huh yeah (laughs) perhaps yeah um I actually just to quickly wrap up on this I actually um in recent years um even though I I, I'm not super into her brand of humor I guess but Aquafina I just like love how like loud and like like brash she is I guess um and just how candid she is which again kind of really breaks that stereotype of most Asian women just being very quiet and polite um so again like I um I'm not like super bought into her brand of humor but I do enjoy the fact that like she is one just like a really diverse actor and can assume like a lot of different roles and some of those roles do include her just like being like very loud and very funny, um, which is not, which was not typically something that you like really saw a ton of Asian women doing in, in media, um, you know, like 10 years ago or that they just didn't have the opportunity to really do that. So. Yeah. Shout out Aquafina. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is exactly the case, but I also feel that like, I don't, know if i have one specific person who i'm like you know they're out there doing the work i need to follow them there's definitely a lot of a lot of people out there doing like good stuff for like any of our communities it's just i i wouldn't be able to name one of them you know yeah yeah but that's definitely a a thing i I could also fix myself but yeah whenever i i would think something like that i would probably like name one of my friends just because i know i have a lot of them who are out there like actually doing the work that's awesome yeah here is the next question what's your favorite food from your culture there's a lot i feel (laughs) gee you want to go first Uh, why do you keep doing this to me okay (laughs) i I do have i have two like fallback ones that i usually say that Uh i'm not sure are actually my favorite but i just default okay so (laughs) from my culture from korean cuisine my favorite noodle dish is uh nengyeon which is a cold buckwheat noodle dish it is fantastic in the Austin summer 
So if you have a Korean restaurant near you, I highly recommend trying them at least once. It's not, I agree, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it is so, so refreshing on a hot summer day. So naengmyeon is one, and the other is hwedeokbap, uh, which just means like rough. Uh, if you know what bibimbap is, it's like, yeah, it's like bibimbap, but with uh, raw fish instead of meat. So yeah, mixed mixed raw fish that doesn't sound appetizing at all but I, it's I still, think that sounds great <laughs> yeah it's kind of it's kind of like what a, a chirashi bowl is but with vegetables and you mix it all together and it's not as pretty as a chirashi bowl but yeah same deal nice i mean i i, I love korean food so yeah, me too. <laughs> i i'll have to try the buckwheat noodles though um I don't think I've ever really tried very many like cold noodle dishes, so I'll have to we try should, that. We should go sometime. Here. We should, yeah, because yeah. it's starting to get yeah. really yeah. freaking hot already. If you don't want the full dish, I'll definitely uh, <laughs> split it with you. So no, I'm down. We should do that. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay, Filipino food. There's so many to choose from. Um, I would say one of my, okay, well, pancit is kind of like a classic. I would say that that's probably one of my favorites. Um, basically just like, you can make it with a, I guess, a variety of different types of noodles technically. Um, but it's basically a, a noodle dish, um, something that is traditionally eaten at like birthday parties or celebrations um, in Filipino culture because the noodle is supposed to be kind of a symbol of, of long life. Um, but I typically um, had pancit made with like kind of glass noodles, uh, kind of like the ones that like are very thin and very translucent. And then you kind of just like throw in um, like all these different like really great vegetables like chopped up celery, carrots. Um, and so that is something that I really enjoyed eating growing up, especially at family gatherings. Um, and then another of my favorites, I would say, is probably sinigang, which is this like kind of almost like sour like soup, I guess, with um, typically like potatoes, beef, um, like some sort of greens in it. Uh, and it's just like very, it's like again, quite sour, um, very like vinegary. I feel like that's kind of a staple of a lot of Filipino foods is just that like sour flavor. Um, but like something that's like really, really yummy to eat in, um, in the fall or winter or whenever it starts getting cold here in Texas, which is like, <laughs> which is apparently February. Yeah. Which is apparently <laughs> February, um, and lasts for like two months. So Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, now I'm getting hungry. But Yeah, for real. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, um, we're almost done here. Are there any businesses you can recommend? This one is also hard for me. Um, <laughs> I The one that comes top to mind, um, they don't need my help in in, in talking about them. They have they're well known but Corriente um, was started by a woman named Nancy and she actually started another restaurant up in Georgetown a couple years ago called Nancy Sky Garden and right out of college when I had no idea what I wanted to do I saw a job listing on Craigslist and (laughs) 
it was for Nancy Sky Garden. So I worked there for a couple of months um, and I have nothing but kind things to say about Nancy um, and her family. Um, I believe her, her daughter's star helped run that location. Corriente, I think right now is run by her son, but they're an awesome Korean American family. Got to know a lot of them. They're, I hope they're doing okay during the pandemic. But I, I know a lot of people who work downtown have been to Corriente. It's like in the heart of downtown. Uh, and they have nothing but good things to say. So that, that'd be my plug. They don't need my help. But I would say keep supporting them if you can. That's such a throwback. Oh, I my know. God. I used to love <laughs> going there for like Friday lunches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. I was like, I almost forgot the, the name of that right? place. But then when, right? you just, when you just mentioned it, I was like, whoa. Like, yep used to love going there and they'd give us like one dollar boba yeah yeah we went that was so fun they're great <laughs> um okay let's see in terms of aapi owned businesses i mean i feel like typically when people think of aapi owned businesses it's a lot of like restaurants yeah. and such which is great um definitely continue supporting your local asian restaurants um, I actually have one that's not a restaurant and it's not necessarily Austin based, but it is, um, a clothing brand, which I, I think their clothes are super cute. And they're also, um, like tailored for women who like might be like a little bit, I guess, like shorter like me. Um, so this is great, but it's called Petite Studio. They are, I think a New York based um clothing shop but they are aapi owned they have super cute clothes um again like it's great if you're small like me and have short legs and have trouble finding pants that fit all the time um but if you're like looking to support a business that's not necessarily a restaurant um you know you know kind of like boutique clothing options are always like a great great way to support local business I'm not sure if I'm super petite, but I'll check them out. You you should. G. I think you. I mean, I I think that you could still find stuff that okay. would would like suit you very okay. well. The pants right. might be a little short on you because you're much taller than I am. Right, but right. like a lot of their like dresses and tops and stuff, I think would look great. So, anyways, that's my not so quick plug, but. <laughs> All right. Last one. Is there any resources, books, podcasts, documentaries, or anything you want to recommend people read, listen, or watch to experience or learn more about AAPI people? Man, I'm going to sound like an uber hypocrite in that I, for award-winning film, I have not actually watched Nutty, but I've heard nothing but good things about it and it um, being an authentic experience, uh, basically an autobiography or autobiographical i can't talk what's the word autobiographical biographical yeah. biographical. there we go guys english is not my first language <laughs> yeah. yes there we go um wait sorry uh, gee which movie midnight with oh, steven yun yeah nice. it, yeah that was a that was a good one i actually have not seen it yet so that's why i'm a hypocrite but i it's i've been meaning to uh that would be my recommendation do watch it I'm, i'll watch it this weekend too since i said it publicly uh, <laughs> Uh, I'll think more on books while D Denise gives her plug. I'm, I know there's some books I have in the back of mine. I just can't think of it right now. Um, oh, man. Okay. I, I mean, I would say, okay, yeah, I'm going to also 
sound like a hypocrite. I have watched Minari. That was going to be my plug, but now that <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> no, it's all good. <laughs> now that you said that, like I can't like for whatever reason off the top of my head think of anything but i should probably look into that um oh actually one book that i did read or i i've been reading recently i haven't made like too much progress but it's called um the latinos of asia and it talks Mm -hmm. about um shoot who is the author okay i will have to look this up later um but it's a really good book on just like how uh filipino culture is like you you know obviously filipinos are asian but then also the different other cultural influences on filipino culture such as um you know like spanish influences due to spanish colonization um the united states military uh occupied the philippines for um for many years so kind of uh talks about how all these different cultural influences have really um really resulted in this like kind of unique uh filipino culture that is like both spanish and also asian and you know how that um really like unique cultural mix has uh impacted filipinos today and also impacted filipinos when they like first started coming to the united states so that is actually a really great book to read i honestly um it's you know probably waited too long to read it myself uh as someone who is filipino but um really good read if anyone is looking for uh for something to read on or during aapi month I think that's about it. I'm trying to find what do I want to plug. <laughs> um, do Do you have any uh local or not local, just any Asian API business that you would want to plug? Yeah, that's what I'm looking into. Uh, <laughs> of uh, one of my friends is jewelry. She's Korean. She has a little Instagram page under Tacky Jewels. T a c k y j e w l z. I actually bought a necklace that she made for me. That's the one thing that I want to promote. I have friends with other pages, but I don't know if they want to like be exposed. You know. Gotcha. Sure. But yeah, shout out to all my Asian Americans <laughs> and Asian American Pacific Islander friends. Um, I have a lot of them that support me and my podcast too. Shout out to them. Um, yeah. As far as like businesses go, there's a lot. I, I eat Korean food all the time. I grew up in a Korean neighborhood. Nice. It's like half Korean, half Mexican, which I didn't even realize until like I could speak English because English is also <laughs> my second language. Nice. It was like either Spanish words, English, and then the one that I didn't understand. I was like, what is that? <laughs> and then I figured it out. It's Korean. Apparently, I live in a very Korean heavy ne- neighborhood. Yeah. And just recently, um, it's starting to get, like, renovated. Not exactly gentrified, but, like, it's starting to get renovated, so to speak. And there's, like, a lot of new businesses popping up. So there's definitely a lot of places that I would go to support. The main one right now is, like, this place called Crisp Chicken, which is Korean fried chicken, which Ooh, I really like. really good. I it love is. Korean fried chicken. Their wings are, like, huge. Like, they say wings, but it's like a chicken leg. <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah, that, that sounds amazing right now. It is pretty good. That th- that one restaurant you recommended in um 
Austin, I might have to visit. I, I would say if you're used to eating Korean food, this is a little bit different. Um, their their mantra is more like healthier, um, but filling and affordable. So they they don't use, necessarily use all the spices and all the oils that um, mm. are found in Korean cooking, but it's still good. It's just not if you're expecting Korean Korean food. Um, there are other options out there, but no, definitely I, I give them a try. I get it. it's probably something more upscale, more. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not upscale. <laughs> it's low. It's low key. It's super low key. Okay, I can still do that. <laughs> no, I still get hungry. All right, all right. Anything else you guys want to add in closing? I mean, just thanks so much for giving yeah. us this opportunity to talk. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, this was fun. Being on the show. Cool. All right. We good. We good. Let's do it. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, y'all. Right. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody.